for me to be uh, back with you today. By the way, if you're visiting us uh, this morning, I demand that every Sunday um, you come up and teach. So you probably had a sense I'm in the middle of a cult. Um, anyway, um, thank you so much. And it's been, uh, yesterday was five weeks from uh, the accident. And when it occurred, I, I and they took me to the emergency room and working a little bit. I thought I'd be teaching the next day. So, but that was just the morphine talking. Um, it's an amazing uh, drug for what it does for pain. And, uh, but there was quite a bit more that had to happen after that. And so, uh, but boy, I've missed you so much. The, I'm, I'm dressed just a little bit of a self-consciousness. I, I dress myself. My wife is in Virginia. Uh, she, not that she normally dresses me. I've never, I've always bought my own clothes and all that stuff. So, um, but I, I'm wearing brown pants and I've got this blue shirt. And, and I'm, I don't think of myself as particularly vain, but it is uncomfortable for me. But these pants were the only ones that fit. I've got a hip contusion that would fit over that a little bit. So... Uh, that's that's the wardrobe explanation. You know, my doctor, at your, you you go from this place of being in really uh, good shape, um, uh, cycling and all, uh, to now having to rebuild some fitness. And so my doctor said he, I needed to get walking and everything for stamina. And I, you don't realize it's a two-handed, two-armed world that we live in. And uh, so... Uh, in order to walk, and so there were a, couple, a few times where my wife was off doing something, shopping or something, and the time came where I needed to get a walk in here before it got dark or whatever. So I had my little black tennis shoes with uh, orange laces uh, in honor of the Giants. And um, so, but I tied them up real, got them real tight, but I couldn't lace them. And so I headed out to the end of my uh, driveway and stood in the street until anybody would walk by. And I could ask him to tie my shoes. This is what life comes to. And I think it gets worse. I don't know. And, and the people were happy to do that. And I want to say thank you so much for your prayers. And uh, both Karen and I needed them. And uh, the emails, the cards, the texts, uh, all of it, telephone calls, such a blessing uh, to us. There's a, you know, a bit more healing that needs to occur, so we'll continue to take that uh, prayer on, on all of that. But really appreciate it. I want to say thanks to the guys on our staff that filled the pulpit in my absence. And then the three friends that came up on really short notice and pretty busy men themselves. Uh, Paul Lester and um, and also Gail Irwin and then Bill Holdridge teaching as well. And this uh, wonderful, the body of Christ, how all of that uh, operates. I have a um, this, I uh, got some cards from a couple of the classes, the children's church classes early on. They um, did a little project where they wrote me a get well card and I, I just, I couldn't read, can't read all of them to you, but I'll give you something that's kind of representative uh, of it. Here's one from uh, Grace and Alex, Brenna and Barry. Dear Pastor Damien, I hope you're better. Uh, well, uh, all I know is that God loves you and he's watching over you. So that's nice. I tell you, the Lord's producing some pretty good saints in that children's churches. And Nadia wrote this to me. Pastor Damien, we pray that you'll be healed. We love you and miss you. God will be with you. I can never hear that enough, can you? And then I got this one from uh, Nemo. He gives me a, he drew a thumbs up and then wrote thumbs up on it. So I appreciated that. So Nemo word, you, I'm with you. But he wrote this. Nemo gets right to the point. He said, Pastor Dan, I'm so sorry that you broke your bone. So just like that. That's it. You don't need to say any more than that. Just get to the point. So Isaac, he gave me a thumbs up too, and he wrote this. He said, Pastor Damien, I hope you get better. I hope you come back to Calvary Chapel. I, I, 
it had never entered my mind up to that point that I might might not be returning. And, uh, and just really one more here. Annabelle wrote, she said, Dear Pastor Damien, I'm sorry you hurt your clavicle, so we've got a pre-med in our second, <laughs> second grade or third grade class here. Uh, Pastor Damon, I'm sorry you hurt your clavicle. Hope you feel better soon. And I hope the doctors do not have to do hurting stuff to you. <laughs> so that was, that was cute. God didn't answer that prayer. He didn't have to do hurting stuff, but I'm thankful for uh, all of that. So good to be with you. Let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Sunday night we'll be looking at Isaiah chapters 9 through 12. And this morning we want to take a look at a little more in-depth look at just one verse contained in that passage. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. Just wave and they'll get a Bible into your hands. And that way you can read the Word as well as listen to it. It'll go deeper into your heart. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you. And make it a great friend in your life. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me just pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for our Savior and our friend. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love for us and your willingness to send him. We thank you for what he means to us, Lord, far more than just forgiving us of our sins is great as that is. Lord, we thank you that what he has done for us has overwhelmed completely our pasts, our current present tense, Lord, and reaches all the way out into eternity future. Thank you for how you have blessed us in Christ Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us and now give us a spirit of worship as we study your word and we just Read about him and savor him and allow this description of your Holy Spirit to once again bless our hearts. Thank you for everything you've put in this book about him. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Isaiah has long been referred to as the fifth gospel. In fact, that title was attached to the book of Isaiah going all the way back uh, to the 4th century. That's how early Christians began to recognize something unique about the book. And it's called the fifth gospel because it contains such a fabulous description of Jesus within the book uh, 740 years before he was ever born into the world. And that's why so often when you will talk to Christians, more often than not, if you were to ask them, what is your favorite uh, prophetic book in all of the Bible? Most times they will say the book of Isaiah. And sometimes they won't even know why until somebody kind of says it and it clicks for them. And the reason that we love this book, and we love all of the books of the Bible, but the reason this has a way of becoming a favorite is because it does have so many descriptions of our Savior. It's so full of Jesus. And so just intuitively, as Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, we are drawn to it. The passage that's before us is probably one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, one of the most treasured descriptions, really, uh, of Jesus found in the whole Old Testament. And verse 6 is one of literally hundreds of Old Testament scriptures that provide us with a description of a Messiah or a Savior that God promised to send into the world as a result of the catastrophic consequences emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually that came 
into the world as a result of that train wreck called the fall of man, Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. We notice Isaiah's description of this Messiah that would be sent, a description of Jesus, that he would be a child born. And here we have a description of Jesus' incarnation, his coming into the world from the vantage point of earth. And Isaiah tells us that he's going to be born into the world. Well, we're so used to the fact uh, the fact that Jesus was born into the world from the biblical account. We think, well, how else would he come into the world? But in telling us that he'll be born into the world, Isaiah is emphasizing the Messiah's humanity. He's not going to come into the world as an angel. He's not going to become, become introduced into human history as a fully developed and as a grown man. He's not going to come into the world by way of a fiery chariot or coming on some intergalactic spaceship or some other dramatic way. He will be born into the world as a baby and as a child. Now I ask myself, why did he need to be born? Why did he need to take the form of man? in order to save us. And one of the answers to that question is, it was required that Jesus take the form of a man uh, for the simple reason of dying. It was the only way that he could die. And the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, speaking of his incarnation, and then here it is, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus had to become a man in order to experience death for the very purpose of dying so he could die for our sins. As God, as divine, he could not die. He needed to become a man in order to do so. Our salvation required the incarnation of a Savior. Paul put it this way elsewhere in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, God, has reconciled Jesus. And then here it is in verse 21. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. There is no way that he could have saved us from our sins without dying. And he needed to take on flesh in order to do that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, speaking of his heavenly place, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. How did he become poor? By taking on human flesh, leaving the glory of heaven, and being born into this world. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, that's just part of the picture. Notice further that he's not only a child born, but that he is also a son given. And here we have the birth of Jesus described from the vantage point of heaven. Yes, a child born, absolutely, but also a son given. And this speaks of his deity, that he was and he is in fact the very son of God. And the Bible declares Jesus to be the Son of God and God the Son unapologetically, unflinchingly, because it is the truth about him. And it is an important truth uh, related to him. And Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 declares both the humanity of Jesus but also the deity of the Lord Jesus. Fully God, fully man, all at the same time. Fully man, absolutely fully man, and yet more. Also fully God. Now many people, and the reason this is important, many people are willing to accept Jesus as a good man, 
They're willing to accept him as a great prophet, a great teacher, a great miracle worker, a great moral example in human uh, history and so forth. But they will not accept his deity. They will not accept his claim to be divine. But here the Holy Spirit tells us 740 years before he was even born that he would be divine. I don't know what else God can do for us. Then tell us 740 years before Jesus was born that he would be the Son of God and God the Son, he would be divine. He can't do more for us than tell us that for us to accept that fact concerning him when he came into human history. The deity of Christ is never a reason for unbelief toward Jesus. Never a reason for unbelief. It is always a reason for belief. If Jesus came into human history and he refused to declare himself to be divine or said that he was not, we would still be looking for another savior. It's a cause for faith, his claim to uh, deity. Well, someone might wonder, well, isn't it enough that Again, that I just believe in him as a good person, as a great teacher, as a great example? And the answer is no. Because if that was all that he was, then your sin problem would be unresolved as yet. Because one who is merely a good person, or merely a great moral example, or merely a great teacher, isn't qualified to provide mankind with the forgiveness of sins. It is because Jesus is divine that he is also sinless. And it is the sinlessness of Jesus that is essential to our salvation because a sinner cannot be the savior of other sinners. He would need a savior for himself, just as a drowning man cannot drown, save other drowning people. He cannot be in the same condition as someone who's in drowning, he must be in a superior condition. So Jesus was required that he was divine because his divine was a, divinity is a testimony to his sinlessness and we needed sinlessness in a savior. It's that sinlessness of Jesus that qualified him to be the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. As Peter put it, for him to be without spot and without blemish. You take away his deity, then you take away his sinlessness. And if you take away his sinlessness, you are left with a Savior who cannot save anyone, can't even save himself, let alone other sinners. It is the deity of Christ that uniquely qualifies him to provide us with salvation. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Again, the Father calls Jesus the Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was only because he was the Son of God and divine that qualifies him to, be, to provide us with salvation. And Jesus certainly understood all of this concerning himself. And this is why he spoke to the religious leaders of his day. To the Pharisees, he said in John chapter 8, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, that's a name of God in the Bible. If you do not believe that I am, that I am divine, that I am the Son of God and God the Son, you will die in your sins. Because it takes deity, perfection, sinlessness 
dying for us in order to provide us with the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus understood exactly what Isaiah was declaring in this particular verse. This is why when I talk to Jehovah Witnesses on my doorstep, I never hide in the house when they knock on the door. I can't wait (laughs) to talk with them. They're just like everybody else. They have a right to hear the gospel. And I understand why some people are intimidated by maybe doing, I'm not putting you down if you're less excited than I am. But they come to my doorstep and they want to tell me how awful the world is. I know, I just got done reading Fox News on the internet, you know, earlier in the day. I know how bad things are getting and, uh, and all. And, and, and so they kind of have that as an opening on things. And so the, they want to go in different places and all. But I know the real issue is what they think of Jesus and what Jesus is described of in the Scripture. They don't believe that he's divine. They believe that he's an angel. And so we talk things over and we get on the issue of Jesus and all. And always by the time we get done with the conversation, I always speak to them from John chapter 8. And I said, you know, this is, you've come to my door to, to tell me about how to know God. And I have told you that I'm the happiest man in the world. I'm a whosoever that has trusted in Jesus and I have everlasting life and I'm on my way to heaven and I've got a relationship with God right now. And now what were you offering me on my doorstep? I, you can't improve on what I already have. And so we talk and I've shared my reason for faith in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the divine Jesus who can take sins away. And then I don't want him just to think, well, wasn't that a nice man? You know, and it was good to talk with him, and I'm okay, and he's okay, and all of that. I say, you know, Jesus said to a group of religious people who rejected his deity, he said, unless you believe that I am in the deity of Christ, you will die in your sins. It is the deity of Christ that uniquely qualifies him to be the savior of the world. And I want them to know that. And then I go into my home always and I pray for both of those people, whether they're male or female or whatever as they come, and I pray for God to give revelation to the word of God in their heart the same way he did in my heart to bring me to salvation as, as, as well. It's a great mistake to for anyone to think that they can improve upon Jesus, the Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures, because you cannot improve upon perfection. This is the Savior that can save sinners. And maybe you sit here today and you're not yet a Christian, and you've always heard the Christmas story uh, concerning the birth of Jesus, the birth of a Savior into the world as a baby, and that he is Emmanuel, or so the Christians believe, that he is God with us, that he is divine. And you've always kind of considered it a bit of a fable or some kind of uh, some fabrication of, uh, of, uh, of, of man, not realizing that there are significant reasons that God has revealed in his word for why Jesus needed to be born into the world in order to save man and why he needed to be divine to do so. And so often people look at that story, the Christmas story, the account of, of Jesus' birth, and they can look at it as a fairy tale because they don't take and, and realize that, that the implications of the account, the implications of the Savior is far deeper than you can understand. And so just to realize here today, no, he needed to be born as a baby or he couldn't have died. And if he didn't die for our sins, then we couldn't be saved. And yes, he had to be divine or he's disqualified in order to do so. And just to say, there's reasons for why God does what he does. 
And so often in our minds, we just take things so far and we look and we say, anyone that would believe God's account or the Jesus being born or, uh, or, or, or believe that you could be saved in such a way by putting your faith in such a person and all, I would hate to be a Christian and live in such darkness and to actually stop and, re- and to give consideration to the fact that it might be you who's living in darkness. It might be that these crazy Christians have been born into a life and a revelation in a situation that you can't even know exists because the Holy Spirit isn't in your life yet because you haven't trusted in Christ. This is a lot bigger. Who Jesus is is a lot more than just sometimes these little snippets we hear here and there and then we dismiss him on the basis of that rather than realizing this is the most significant person who has ever lived and I ought to give some portion of my life to investigating his life, his ministry, and his claims. And I beg you to do that. There's a reason for everything he did from his birth all the way through to his death and his burial and his resurrection. Notice that he will be called wonderful, Isaiah says. And there in in verse 6 he says, and his name will be called wonderful. We've already read about, I mean sung about the name of God. And in the Hebrew culture when you talk about somebody's name, it's not just a a tag that's been attached to a person so we can differentiate you from everybody else in the world or everyone else in your kindergarten classroom. But for the Jew, when you talk about the name of God, you're talking about the character of God. And so Isaiah is speaking here of the character of this Messiah who would be born. And he said, he will be called wonderful. All that he says when he comes... All that he says, all that he does, it's going to be wonderful. And wonderful is the word in the Hebrew language to translate it into English. But it also carries the idea of extraordinary, admirable, marvelous, and supernaturally so. And you look at Jesus in the scriptures and you see his dealings with every single person. And you think to yourself, that's wonderful. You pull back from the red in the Bible and, you, and what it is that happened there. And you think, I, that situation could not have been handled any more wonderfully than he handled it. You read through the Gospels and you read about what he said and the different situations that he was in. And it's to be filled with a wonder over his wisdom and what he said. You see, nobody could have said anything more wonderfully than he Uh, said there, every deed, every action of his wonderful, most especially his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then we think in regards to our own relationship with him as Christians. He's not just wonderful in the Bible. He's not just wonderful 2,000 years ago. He's wonderful to you and me every single day. In my recovery, I've discovered him to be wonderful, always He's wonderful at one in the morning. He's wonderful at two in the morning. He's wonderful at three in the morning. He's wonderful at four in the morning. He's wonderful when I'm lying on the bed. He's wonderful when I move to the recliner. He's wonderful when I move to the couch. He's wonderful all of the time. Always wonderful in our lives. Wonderful company. He's a wonderful listener to follow him is wonderful. To be his disciple is wonderful. To serve him is wonderful. Even to be disciplined by him and chastened by him is wonderful. And I think it's fabulous to realize that no matter how difficult or how challenging life might become for a Christian, we always have a constant source of wonderful available to us. No matter how messy the world is, no matter how messy our life is, we have a constant flow and source of wonderful flowing into our lives. And it's all because of him. And nobody can stop it from flowing into our lives. He will be called counselor. In other words, he provides us with perfect wisdom and perfect counsel in life. And 
The Bible, of course, is our main access to the counsel of Messiah, of Jesus. Turn to the Bible and we have God's instruction and his counsel given to us there. And sometimes this wonderful counselor will counsel us through a word of wisdom or word of knowledge or a prophecy or he'll speak to us through a still small voice. Jesus has a lot of different ways uh, to uh, speak to us. I'll tell you, I testify to you this morning. I've walked with him for almost 35 years and I've never, ever known him to make a bad decision. Not once. There have been a handful of times where I got a little iffy for me. But I realized, all right, I've got to wait this out and see what's really going on here because the present tense is using up all of the oxygen in the room. And then sure enough, days go by, weeks go by, sometimes years have to go by, and I look back and then I see what he was doing and what he was up to. And I realize that was the very best thing that could have happened in my life. Lord, I've never known him to make a bad decision, not once. I have never, ever obeyed his teaching or his counsel or his commandments and lived to regret it. Never once. Never once taken his counsel, obeyed it, and said, I wish I hadn't done that. Because the counsel is perfect. And I know my testimony is your testimony as well. We're just going to like an old person's house this morning where they've got like those jars of candy and there's those hard candies. When you're a kid, you wanted Tootsie Rolls or licorice or something. You take those hard candies out and you put them in your mouth and you just kind of suck on them a little bit and savor them. And that's what we're doing here this morning. He's wonderful. And he's a wonderful counselor in our lives. And I'll tell you, who else can you say that about? Your own counsel, my own counsel, the counsel of friends, the counsel of the world, that I followed their counsel 100% and I've never lived to regret it. No, it's only true of uh, God's counsel. He's the only one that can provide us with safe counsel in this world. The only one who can do it. Look at the world that we live in, the nation that we live in. A mess. (laughs) Why is it a mess? It's a mess because of so-called man's wisdom. And the turning of our backs, not just as a city or as a state or as a nation, but the whole world in many respects increasingly, turning our backs on his counsel and the degree to which we defy his instruction and his counsel, which is always perfect, is the degree to which we're going to move toward lawlessness and perilous and fierce times. Only God knows what he's talking about in this fallen world. But it's not just true of the big wide world. It's also true of our individual lives. And so many people come to know the Lord when we've lived under our own counsel. We thought we were so smart for so many years. I thought I was smart in my early adult life. What do I need to turn to God for? I knew better. I've got some ideas of my own that I want to try out. There's some things that I want to experience. I think I know as much as anybody, and I did it and came running to God with my tail between my legs as fast as I could, ultimately when I started to bear the consequences of it. And so, so often you can sit here today in this room and you are the victim of your own wisdom and your own counsel or the victim of someone else's counsel or someone else's wisdom and you wonder is there another place is there another wisdom some other counsel that won't do damage to me some safe counsel or safe refuge and it is the wisdom of the lord and it is his his counsel and coming into his word and obeying it that you will find that safety again no one knows what they're talking about how many more newscasts do we need to watch how many more newspapers do we need to watch before we, people lose their 
infatuation or overvaluing of, of us as human beings and our wisdom to solve our international problems or even our personal problems. You know, one day it happens in life. Sometimes it takes a little while for us to get there. Sometimes we have enough wealth. We have enough friends. We have enough connections. Um, We have enough health. We've got some margins in our life. So we play fast and we play loose in life. And it looks like nothing's catching up to us. Say, I can live how I want. And that book, that dumb old book that people, what? And my grandmother and my mother... My brother, and they live in it. I don't have any time for that. I'm doing great. And then one day it all collapses. Because life isn't a movie. And it's not a video game. And we're so technologically, I think people that watch enough TV and they're enough on the video thing or whatever the deal is, and, and pretty soon we begin to think that life is is a movie or that it's a video game, that it's not real. It is real. And it's dangerous. And it's serious. And we will become the product of whoever we make our counselors. And Jesus was born into the world not only to provide us with the forgiveness of sins, but he was born into the world to provide us with counsel, direction, instruction, wisdom that he knew we would so desperately need, not as much as salvation, but almost as much as salvation. And so he is a wonderful counselor. And what a privilege it is to know him as our counselor in life. He'll be the mighty God, Isaiah said. Again, this reinforces the fact that when he comes into the world, he's going to be divine. And it also communicates the fact that he is all-powerful. In other words, he's not just a wonderful counselor. So many people talking, so many books that are being written, so many blah, blah, blah about how to fix problems and how to fix problems and this and this and this and this, and then no problems ever get fixed. And you look at Jesus, is he just another kind of religious leader in human history that just says a bunch of stuff and then calls me to live a certain life and then I have no power to live this life? No, he is almighty God. He is mighty God. And so, in other words, when Jesus comes in and he gives us his wisdom and his commandments and his instruction, he couples with it. He, has the, he gives us the ability then to obey that com- those commandments. His power is behind his word. Because he's not just the speaker. He gives us the power to obey, the will to do, and the power to do of his good pleasure. I'll tell you, I... He, the, um, he's a wonderful counselor, but again, he gives us that, that power. 35 years I've walked with him again, as I've said earlier. I've tested his promises up one side and down the other. Maybe not as much as you have, but more than some others have. I've never known him not to keep even one of his promises to me. I mean, I say, I say I'm a human being. I stand before you, walk with him 35 years. I've never, he has never failed to be faithful to one of his promises in my life. Who else can I say that about? I can't even say that about myself. Be embarrassing if I did. He's kept every single promise that he has made to me. And you read through the Gospels and everything you see about him in the Gospels is in every situation that he was in, what was, he was the master of every situation. What are we going to do with these? You've got the, uh, he teaches this gigantic multitude of people. They're all hungry. Some of them have walked days in order to hear Jesus teach. The disciples come. They're going to help Jesus out because what does he know? They were the wonderful counselors. So they come and they say, listen, you ought to send these people away so they can get something to eat. Well, Jesus said, well, boy, if you're going to talk, talk about all this and such an authority on what I ought to do, you feed them. I said, wow, I mean, if, if, we, if we had this much money, we couldn't feed this many people. And then now come the five loaves and the two fish, and he feeds the 5,000 until they're glutted and they can't eat anymore. 
In every situation, he was a master of that situation. You ever watch cartoons? I watch cartoons. Not now so much. (laughs) I'm not above it, but the ones I like, I can't ever find. You know, I probably should get get like 100 hours of DVDs on it or something. I like Foghorn Leghorn. But sometimes you see him pacing back and forth and he's all, what he's going to do and this and that. He got to get that dog, you know, and hit him with that frying pan on the backside again or whatever the deal was. But you see that sometimes these creatures or the cartoons pacing back and forth are all anxious and all worried and all. You can read all those gospels and try and find Jesus even remotely near that. You never will. Completely at peace, completely in control of every situation he was in the middle of. Well, he lives inside of us as Christians. And his word is going to have the final say in every one of our lives because he has the power to make sure it happens. And he will make it happen. He will be the everlasting father, Isaiah said. That doesn't mean that Jesus is the father. The Bible teaches very clearly that each person within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are distinct uh, persons. But we could easily and just as equally translate everlasting father as the father of eternity. And so he's going to be the father of eternity. Among the Jews, when, they, when you talk uh, in that culture, the word father, it meant originator or source. The father was the source of life. The father was the source of so much in that patriarchal and that ancient uh, culture. And so what is being spoken of here is the fact that Jesus is the source of everything eternal, everything that is everlasting in our lives. He brings into our lives from everlasting life to the relationship that we have with him that will never stop even for a split second, even if we have to lay this body down in order to enter into heaven prior to the rapture. Everything that is in our lives that is eternal, God has brought that in, into, our, uh, into our lives. Jesus uh, uh, does that. He is the father of eternity, so to speak, the father of what is uh, eternal and wonderfully eternal in, in the human condition. Jesus spoke very much the same thing to the Jewish religious leaders that, again in John 8. He said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Jewish religious leaders said to him, Are you not yet 50 years old, and you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I preexisted Abraham. He is the father of eternity. To To give eternal life, you must have eternal life. And Jesus alone possesses eternal life. And finally, he's going to be the prince of peace, Isaiah said. Jesus declared in this regard of himself, To the disciples, John chapter 14, he said, Peace I leave with you. He said, I can't get better than that. Jesus pronouncing to us as his disciples, Peace I leave with you. And then he says something even stronger. He said, My peace I give to you. How peaceful was Jesus? How peaceful is Jesus? He said, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Later in John's gospel, he said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, if we, if we only know peace during times in which national and international circumstances are peaceful, and then on top of that, our personal circumstances are peaceful, then we will never know peace in this life. Or we will only know it in fleeting moments. 
The only way we can know peace in this life is to be able to trust in one who is greater than all of the things from without and from within that can take my peace away. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. He brings a supernatural peace into a human life. How rich is a person really if he or she does not know peace? You can be a billionaire. You can possess all kinds of things. You can know so many people. You can have access to so many places. But if you don't know peace, are you really rich? Do you have the capacity to enjoy life and to experience it the way that God wants us to? No, there must be someone who brings a solution to our anxieties and to our worries, someone who can bring a peace into our lives, who doesn't just write something on a plaque and provide plaque fodders for our home, but who is powerful enough to be greater than every problem that we have and every circumstance that we're in to give us peace. And Jesus is that one. Jesus is that Savior. And he offers us peace with God. And then the peace of God. And one day he will establish his kingdom. And what is known as the thousand year reign of Christ. And all we will ever know is peace during that reign in this earth. And then one day everything will give way to a new heaven and a new earth. And then there won't even be a test to peace in a person's life. And so this is who Jesus is. And this is what he came into the world to be. And this is what he came into the world to be in each of our lives. Fully man in order to become our kinsman redeemer to die for our sins. Fully God in order to be able to pay the price for our sins. An unfailing source of wonderful in our lives. To provide us with the counsel and the wisdom and the direction that we desperately need and that only he can provide to provide us with his power, to provide us with what is eternal, beginning with everlasting life, and to provide us with a peace that only he can provide as the Son of God and as God the Son. Now, who in their right mind would turn that down? (laughs) Who in their right mind? It just takes five minutes to just stop, disconnect from everything around, Experience a little bit of life. Look at how hard this world is. Look at how hard life can be, the challenges that we face. And just become honest about the deepest needs that we have in our life. And then to ask myself, if the Savior that God said he would send into the world 740 years before he was born in the world, to ask myself if this Jesus that he's described is not a perfect match for every need in my life. And he is. God loves you. God knows and he knew what you would need from him before we ever knew we would need those things from him. And he provided them for us in Christ for the day the light would go on and we would realize, I've been made for a relationship with God. I've been made for fellowship with God. And a God who can meet and overwhelm every need in my life. And Jesus is that Savior. And how do you receive him into your life? Again, Jesus speaking in the most famous word in all of the Bible. John 3, 16. I'll just wait a moment. Something's buzzers going off or whatever. People heading out to get kids. Trust me, there's not that, this many kids that are in trouble. Some, we've got a malfunction of some kind.
Okay, you with me? Life and death in the room. Life and death in the room. And one day, one moment that we leave this life and move into the next one, we will realize how significant that is. So how do I receive this Savior into my life? Jesus said in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave. That's the same word, that, that's the word that you see in Isaiah 9.6, Unto us a son is given, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever, that's you again, would believe or trust in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You receive the Savior into your life by putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You say, why would God do it that way? Why would he make it so easy? You don't know how bad a person I've been. I need to, like, crawl on my hands and knees from here to Mexico City or the Himalayas or do whatever to add to that. It can't, it can't be that simple for someone like me to be saved. No one can add anything to the salvation that Jesus has provided. And the single greatest thing that you can do for God the Father is not to do some work for him or make some sacrifice for him. The single greatest way you can honor him is to put your faith in the son that he sent into the world to die for your sin. That cannot be improved upon. There are going to be men and women up in front immediately after this service who would love to pray with you to put your faith in Christ and begin the relationship with God that you have been created for. And it's all there for the asking and the receiving. There are none who are so good that they don't need to be saved and none who are so bad that they can't be saved. This is a sinner savior that we've been talking about today. Jesus, a perfect match for our need. Well, this morning I want to close our service by asking the worship team to come up. And I want to close by singing a couple of Christmas songs. So here we are.